Good morning, church. My name's Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. We're so happy that you're here with us today. Thanks for joining us. And happy Father's Day to all you dads who are out there. We are so blessed to have so many great parents in our church. And dads specifically, we are encouraged by how well you love your families, you love your kids, you point them to Jesus, you show them what love looks like. Thank you for doing such a great job. We're so grateful for you, and we hope that you have a really great day today getting celebrated. Well, we're in a series called Expanded, what we're learning in this time. And so I've asked myself the question this week, what am I, how am I being expanded? What is Jesus teaching me during this time? It's a great question, right? You know, when I think about expansion, the first thing, unfortunately, uh, that comes to my mind is my waistline. I know what it feels like when that's being expanded. I'm sure many of you do too, although I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but we know what that looks looks like, right? We feel the uncomfortableness in our belt, in our uh, pants size as it's slowly growing. We understand what that means. There's some pushing. There's a little discomfort that's going on. And so as I thought about expansion and what that looks like, that was kind of in the back of my mind, honestly. And I started thinking about what is Jesus doing in this time of discomfort and uh, a little pushing that's going on. Uh, and the thing that came to my mind was a scene from one of my favorite uh, books, one of my favorite series of books, The Chronicles of Narnia. And it has all the things that I love. It has talking animals and uh, secret worlds and elves and magic and all the things that I look for in a book series because I'm a fantasy nerd. I love them a lot. And there is one specific scene that popped into my mind as I was thinking about this. Listen to it. It's from The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. The beaver says they say Aslan is on the move, perhaps already landed. And when Beaver said this, a very curious thing happens. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you or I. But the moment that Beaver had spoken these words, everyone felt quite different. Perhaps it's happened to you. Somebody has said something which you don't understand, but it feels as if it has enormous meaning. It was like that now. At the name of Aslan, each one of these children felt something jump inside. Aslan is on the move and perhaps already landed. Friends, I believe that in our time that Jesus is on the move and that he's doing something that has enormous meaning. He's doing something really, really powerful in our time. I don't want to seem overly positive uh, about this right now. I don't want to put too cheery of a face because I understand the realities of our time. We're living through painful times. And yet I think the truth is that we, we shouldn't be so quick to ignore the call of Jesus in the middle of this just because it's uncomfortable. Because often Jesus chooses to move in difficult times. Mark Sayers wrote that the idea that this new place where we find ourselves could be hopeful seems counterintuitive, yet a study of history shows that at moments like this, when the church appears to be sliding into an unalterable decline, when culture is shaken by upheaval, when the world globalizes, opening up new frontiers and fostering chaos and change, at moments like this, God moves again. The reality is, is that moments like the one that you and I 
are living through are precisely the times throughout history that we've seen Jesus do some of the most amazing things in our world. Which leads to the question, why? Why doesn't he do it in normal, like peaceful, quiet times? Why does he choose times like this? And I think it has something to do with disappointment. You know, this week, my family experienced some disappointment. You, you know, I'm sure lots of you have experienced lots of little disappointments, some of you bigger disappointments over the past few months. But we had a, a, a middle scale, I would say, especially for the kids, it was a bigger disappointment. They were getting ready to go to Illinois to see my wife's sister uh, and their, their cousins. Uh, so they were really excited. It was going to be the first time on an airplane, uh, getting to go visit. It was going to be a lot of fun. They were going to leave Tuesday. And then Monday, we got an email saying that we were not allowed to go because uh, the DCF had changed the rules on travel for kids in the foster system. And so we had to get extra um, extra validation in order to be able to go. And, and we didn't have enough time for that in 24 hours. So 24 hours before the trip happens, everything gets canceled. And disappointment hit hard. The kids were upset. Their cousins were upset. My wife and her sister were upset. It was hard. It was not a fun reality. And I know many of us have dealt with these sorts of disappointments, whether it's travel, maybe, you know, you've had uh, pain around your job, you've lost a job, you've had your hours cut, your salary cut, uh, maybe you've lost somebody that you loved during this time. We've all had things that have happened to us during this time. And I think it's often in places of disappointment that God speaks the loudest and Here's a little bit of why I think he's able to speak the loudest in these times. James Chung is a vineyard guy and an author, and he wrote this. Disappointment is a powerful force that can awaken our soul to God's desires. You see, Christianity has nothing to say to the person who's completely happy with the way things are. Its message is for those who desire life as it was meant to be. The Holy Spirit seeks to use the disappointments, failures, losses, and heartaches to awaken in us a desire for life as it was meant to be. Disappointment is a powerful force that can awaken our soul to God's desires. I'm not saying that God creates the, the pain, the suffering, the heartache of times like these. But I am saying that in these sorts of times, God has proven over and over and over again that he uses them to do something in our lives. It's hard, but it's, it's true. It's what we've seen happen over and over and over again. What's Jesus teaching me is that he's on the move in our time and that the difficulties, the disappointments, and the heartaches of this time are being used by him. They're not getting in his way. They're not stopping him. They're not taking away from his plan. And instead, he's moving forward in spite of it, far from being stopped. In fact, I would say he's using this difficult time to expand his kingdom in our world. That's what I think God is doing in our time. 
I want to pray and then we're going to be in Ezekiel 37. We're going to look at a vision that Ezekiel has that I I think speaks tremendous life to what life looks like for us today. But first, will you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for your presence. I thank you that you are here with us. I thank you that you're in our homes right now. And I pray that you will expand us. Help us to grow, to be changed, to be reoriented towards you in spite of our times and in fact, because of our times. Allow our dissatisfaction with the world, with things as we know it grow so that our satisfaction can only be found in you, the one who is truly in control, the one who truly has good plans for our world and for us. We invite you to come speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Ezekiel 37. Uh, That's where we're going to be. I'm going to be reading from the message, which might sound a little bit different, but I love some of the ways that it paints this picture that we're going to be talking about this morning. Here's what it says. God grabbed me. God's spirit took me up and set me down in the middle of an open plain strewn with bones. He led me around and among them a lot of bones. There were bones all over the plain, dry bones bleached by the sun. Now, this is in Ezekiel's first rodeo. By this point in the book, he's had all kinds of experiences. He's been transported, like the term that was used here before, to other places. He's had visions, dreams, prophetic insights. Lots of crazy stuff has happened to him. This isn't the first But I think it's one of the most powerful ones. Because the last time that he was transported somewhere else, he was transported to a place of utter beauty, filled with God's presence. He was taken to God's throne. He saw God and all of his power was able to behold that, to look upon that, to encounter God in all of his glory. But he was invited to look, but not touch. He wasn't given a role that time other than being there and telling what it was that he had seen. This time he's taken to a place of desolation and death. I mean, friends, he walked in a cemetery where the bodies were not buried. He walked through a cemetery where the bodies had been laid out for so long that they had decayed and then they had been bleached white by the sun. To massively understate it, it would have been a lot to have processed if you were there. But as we'll see, as we keep going, one reason that I think that this transport is so so powerful, so impactful in his life is so different is because he's given a role to play. Because of this, I would imagine that for Ezekiel, that the first transport when he went to that place of beauty of God's presence was amazing, was powerful, was quite an amazing, cool experience. But the second vision, the second transport reoriented and changed him. You know, sometimes Jesus gives us cool experiences, and I love cool experiences. I love beauty. I love uh, deep emotions and powerful moments in the presence of God. I don't want to take away from those at all. I think those are really powerful. But we cannot be content with just cool experiences. Jesus wants us to have more. Jesus wants us to go beyond the cool experiences. He wants us to be reoriented and changed. And that often happens in places of desolation. 
So let's keep reading and see what happens to Ezekiel. Verse 3, he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I said, master God, only you know that. And then he said to me, prophesy over these bones, dry bones, listen to the message of God. Watch this, I'm bringing the breath of life to you and you'll come to life. I'll attach sinews to you, put meat on your bones, cover you with skin, breathe life into you. You'll come alive and you'll realize that I am God. Can these bones live? Only if you say so. That was Ezekiel's reply. And then God doubles down and he tosses it back. And he says, okay, Ezekiel, I do say so. But I'm also saying that you have a part to play in this process. So start speaking. Start speaking my breath into these bodies that are in front of you. And so I want to talk about this, this phrase that we see. Prophesy the breath. Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy life to these bones. You know, these two words, prophesy and breath, are the two most repeated words in this entire section. Breath is, or breathe is used six or seven times here in these verses. And the Hebrew word used here is ruach, which if you've been around the church a little bit, you may have heard it's uh, most commonly translated as spirit with a capital S. We would call it the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, they said the spirit of God. That's most commonly what this word is translated. So Ezekiel was told to prophesy the spirit of God into these bones. And prophesy, what does that mean exactly? Well, prophesy is just as important as breath in these verses. It says seven times to go and prophesy to these bones. And the Hebrew word here used means to speak by divine power. Mike Pilavachi is an author and a pastor, and he defined prophecy this way. It's the gift or ability to receive and communicate supernatural revelation for a group, individual, or situation. Gift or ability to receive and communicate divine power, divine revelation. So let's break this down a little bit. We believe that God speaks just as clearly today as he did to Ezekiel thousands of years ago, that he still chooses to use us, his followers, to speak his life into our world. We think that that's just the case. We see no reason that that stopped. We, in fact, we've seen it continue on, and I'll walk you through that. But prophecy, here's how it can look. It can be personal. It can be from the Holy Spirit to you, to me. Or it could be on a larger scale. It could be from the Holy Spirit to you, to a large group of people, like a church maybe, or, 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 or a town or something like that. Or it could be situational, and it could be from the Holy Spirit to you, to something that's going on, to something that's happening in our world. But a prophetic word from Jesus will always do two things. And if it doesn't do these two things, then it is not a word from Jesus. It will always cause us to know Jesus more and to love Jesus more. If it doesn't do those two things, chuck it. It's not worth anything. It's not actually from Jesus. It will always make you know and love Jesus more. That is so important. And then it's, it's for us. We're, we're a part of this. We get to do this. Here's why I say that. Numbers 11.29, Moses, who is then the leader of Israel, he's speaking to the people of Israel, or he's speaking to God about the people of Israel, actually. And he says, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets, and the Lord would put his spirit upon them all. 
Now, when Moses said that, he was a little bit frustrated, uh, as he often got with the, the people of God, because they were a little frustrating. Uh, and so he was probably saying this with a little bit more frustration than he should have. But the amazing thing is that God took him up on it. And God says, okay, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people. They'll all be able to prophesy. They'll all be able to speak my word, to hear me, and to speak out what it is that I'm placing on their hearts. And he does this in Acts chapter 2 for the first time on all people. We hear that everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit, began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Ezekiel, speak life, the Holy Spirit's life into these dead bones and watch what happens. God is saying that he's giving Ezekiel the authority to speak life into dead things. And I think Jesus is calling us to do the same thing today. He's giving us the same authority he gave to Ezekiel all those years ago. Our job is to prophesy life. We're called to speak the Holy Spirit's life into our world. And then we get to watch what happens. So let's keep going. Let's see what happened in Ezekiel's situation. Verse 7. I prophesied just as I've been commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and a rustling. And the bones moved and they came together, bone to bone. And I kept watching and, and sinews formed and the muscles on the bones. And then skin stretched over them. But they had no breath in them. And so he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, tell the breath. God, the master says, come from the four winds. Come, breathe on these slain bodies. Breathe life. Don't you feel the urgency in this? Prophesy now. Hurry. Ask for more. Don't stop. Don't be content with what you're seeing right now. Keep pushing. Keep asking. Keep going deeper. Don't get excited about a bunch of skin. Don't be content with just getting part of the way there. All that you see right now is just a bunch of pretty corpses. Keep going for life. And then look what happens. So I prophesied just as he commanded me. And the breath entered them and they came alive and they stood up to their feet, a huge army. And then God said to me, listen to what they're saying. Our bones are dried up. Our hope is gone. There's nothing left of us. Therefore prophesy, tell them, God, the master says, I'll dig up your graves and I'll bring you out alive. I'll breathe my life into you and you'll live. I've said it and I'll do it. God's decree. I think it's deeply important that we get what's going on here. There was no life until the breath, the very life, the spirit of God himself was prophesied into those bones. They had bones, they had muscles, they had skin, but they were still dead until the life entered into them. Once the breath came though, then life happens. And friends, there's a reason that this might sound a little familiar if you've read the Bible, and that's because it echoes back to the first creation story, Genesis 2-7, that the Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Life happens when the breath of God, the Spirit of God, enters into the bones. Ezekiel's response way back at the very beginning of all this when God said 
can these bones live? His response was to say, only if you want them to. He wasn't saying he had no idea. He was just saying, it's up to you. You can do it, but you got to choose. And God gave a resounding yes. And he echoes that at the end. I'll breathe my life into you and you'll live. I've said it and I'll do it. God's decree. But I skipped over one thing. It's going to take an earthquake. Verse 7. As I prophesied, there was a sound and a rustling. Other translations here, instead of using rustle, they say rattle. But both of those words are way too understated. What the real word here should be translated is, uh, is as an earthquake. The best translation is, as I prophesied, there was an earthquake. It wasn't just noisy. The divine word, a spirit, life, breath of God shook the earth in a harsh, physical manner. There was rattling going on. There was cracking. There was shaking. Rocks were being moved. Sometimes God's spirit doesn't come in a calm, uh, peaceful, nice sort of way. Sometimes in order for the life of God to be breathed into our world, to be breathed into humanity, it takes an earthquake. And friends, I think that we live in a time like that. We live in a time of rattling. God's moving. He's breathing life. But it's not just noisy. It's shaking everything. Friends, just as Jesus is, he's inviting us to stand with him and to look out over this field. And as we stand here, we see dry bones in our world. We see brokenness and sin and pain. And yet in the midst of this, we are being called to prophesy life. Prophesy the Holy Spirit of God into all that we see. Jesus, I think, is speaking to his church in this time. And he's saying, prophesy, tell the world that God is going to dig up their graves. He's going to bring them out alive. He's going to breathe life into them and that they're going to live. He said it and he'll do it. We can stand firm on that promise because it's going to come to pass. And that's the good news, friends, because there is hope in that. And we live in a world that definitely desperately needs the hope of Jesus, the saving work of Jesus in our world. But we are being asked to have a role in it. And our role is to step out and to prophesy life. So what does it mean to prophesy life into our world right now? Here's three ways that we can do this. First, it means shouting Jesus louder than we shout anything else. It's so easy for us to get caught up in the cycle of arguments right now. And that's not helpful or revolutionary. That's normal. Everybody in our world is doing it. Everybody has an argument that they want to make on Facebook right now. You know what's revolutionary? You know what speaks life, what prophesies life into our world? Standing up, shouting Jesus, and watching as people are changed. It means showing love instead of hate. The kingdom of God, friends, is not us against them. Jesus died for all of humanity, period. End of sentence. Sinners and saints, Republicans 
and Democrats. All people are covered under the blood, the sacrifice of Jesus. What speaks life into our world right now? Listen to this from Luke chapter 6. And this is a hard one and I understand that. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Friends, speak love into our world. That is prophesying life right now. Show people the love of Jesus. And it means speaking hope in Jesus instead of distrust and hopelessness. Jesus said that he came into our world to bring life and life abundantly. It's his promise to us. It's what he said since he was alive, that that's what this is all about. So what is speaking life into our world right now? Speak hope and trust in the promise of Jesus that he's bringing life. He's not bringing death. He's not bringing destruction. He's not bringing pain. He's not bringing sin. He's not bringing hopelessness. He's bringing life. Point people to the truth of Jesus, not the shaky foundation of political systems or, or nations or anything else that you would put your hope in. Put your hope in Jesus, in the kingdom that he came to bring. Here's what we need to do, friends. We need to shout Jesus loudly. We need to speak love. We need to speak hope. We need to prophesy life, the spirit of God into a world that is desperate for it, into a world that has lost hope, that is dried up, that is dying, that is without any life in it. It might not look like it, but friends, I deeply believe that in our time of chaos and change, that Jesus is on the move and that he's doing something extraordinary, but he's asking us to join with him as he does it. He's giving us a job. Our job is to prophesy life into our world. Are you willing to join him in this job? Are you willing to step out and go with him in this. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that even in times as messy as our time, even in times filled with disappointment and pain, that you are moving. We thank you that you are on the move and that we can put so much hope in that reality. Jesus, help us expand us, teach us what it looks like to join with you in this path of prophesying life. Teach us what that means and how to do it well. We love you, Jesus. As we go to a time of worship, we just invite your spirit to come to fill our homes. We want to encounter you. We want you to be filling us, you to be pouring into us so that what comes out is more of you. So we just ask for you, Holy Spirit, to come in Jesus' name. Amen.